strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And I'm just going to get right into it. It's been a pretty crazy time. As you know, we are located in northern New Jersey, just outside of New York City. Mm-hmm. One of the areas that has been hardest hit by the coronavirus pandemic. I, Jen, am a nurse in New York City, and I've seen some crazy shit. I was also sick for much of the month of April. I spent that alone away from my husband and daughter. During this time, Robin was working grueling hours from home in isolation from her friends and family. This is the first recording that you guys will hear from us since Mm -hmm. the pandemic began. We're doing it in a new way. Robin is at her apartment and she's Skyping over to me. So we have a very elaborate, very high tech setup uh, to be able to achieve this. But this has been a pretty trying time for us. Luckily, we are pretty overprepared baseline, and we had a lot of episodes prior to this situation. We know that everyone has struggled, and we would hug each and every one of you if we could and if it was safe. Not only has there been a global pandemic, but there is also a burgeoning civil rights movement. I work hard as a white woman to know my privilege and to be an ally to my friends, family, and loved ones of color. I would ask for anyone who is questioning what I mean or what I'm talking about to please educate yourself. Know that you and your opinion do not have to be permanent, infallible, or set in stone. If there is one goal that I've always had in my life and I feel lucky to have is that I want to always remain educatable, knowing that I do not know everything and that no one is expecting me to. I have little true power in this world, but I have my vote and I have my money. And I also have this podcast, which is my love, my second child. I was pushed and encouraged to put out a new episode. After all this time, we've just been putting out old episodes that we have recorded, but I felt like with everything going on, it was time to put out something new, especially given the current events and the events that I'm going to talk about, which I don't think people know that much about. It was also very difficult to even set this up. I mean, mentally and physically for both Jen and I to come to an understanding that we still do really want to continue recording our episodes and still want this podcast. And we were very lucky to have a lot of episodes in our bank that we can put out for you guys. And that's our, that's our main goal. We want to make sure that there's always an episode every week for you. And so we are taking the precautions to do this, but it took us a a long time to decide to do this because we're each going through different things in different measures and in, in different households and different lives. And there's a lot of things going on. And so we decided together that, you know what, we're going to buy the equipment and we're going to do what we have to do because you guys want us to post things, but we also really want to post things as well. So this is it, you know, and we're going to sound different and weird, but this is going to be the new normal for a little bit. And I hope you guys enjoy. Yeah. So Like Robin said, it's, you know, it took a lot of mental and emotional energy to get us to a place where we actually felt like we could even focus Mm -hmm. on a topic. Like we literally spent days talking to people who were affected by this pandemic. I literally watched people die every day. You know, Robin's company, she went through terrible financial hardships, like everything has been so crazy in this area 
every single person here knows someone who died. And it, it's so it must be so different for people who don't live in this area. But it was such an emotionally grueling time. And but in the end, this is a thing that we've always done to help keep our sanity <laughs> as little as there mm-hmm. is of it. And so this is us getting back at it and trying to, you know, ease into the new normal and realize that this is where we're at right now. And if we want to continue to have a podcast, we're going to just have to adapt. And so we yeah. have pivoted. Everyone, we have pivoted. And it's great because we're doing it on Skype. So I still get to see Jen's beautiful face. I know. I get to watch uh, Robin's reactions when I say dumb shit. <laughs> exactly. I think I think that <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do this if we weren't be able if we couldn't see each other because was, yeah. it's like our our first kind of reactions towards whatever story we're saying. Yeah. That's what we I never love tell, about it. We never tell each other the topics beforehand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we always want to see each other's reactions, and if we were not able to actually see each other's faces, I don't think we could do this. So we are lucky enough to live in an area that has incredibly good Wi-Fi, and we're lucky enough to. have have the financial ability to have the technology and that comes not just from our own work but also comes from the patreon it comes from the advertising yes. thank you very um, much patrons thank so you. thank you so much to everyone and for the patrons who are currently waiting for packages i swear i'll get them out to you and if the post oh, office we closes did some stuff we did some, no 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 they'll be open but we did some stuff but we did some stuff the other day we do so we have things yeah we're, we're catching up we're, mm-hmm. we're getting back to ourselves um so just, it just took a minute. <laughs> took yeah, a minute. <laughs> it's been tough. So that's just kind of a little update on what's been going on here in Notorious Narratives land. Yep. Our apologies to you for not being super available in terms of Facebook and Instagram. We will slowly get back to that, but the podcast has to be the first priority right now. And not having any childcare, Robin working like 75 hours a week from home, it, we just haven't really had that additional time that we used to have with our normal schedules. So hopefully as things start to, you know, fit themselves into normal again, we'll find the time for the Facebook and the Instagram and we can get yes. back to everyone. In the meantime, thank you so much. We love you and thank you for listening. So tonight, given the current events that are surrounding us, I'm going to talk about the Tulsa race massacre. Oof. I got hold on. I got I need another pillow for this. <laughs> so you may have heard this term going around the Tulsa massacre, the Tulsa race riots, you know, some variation of this. Especially recently as our lovely president decided he wanted to have a rally <laughs> <laughs> in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the site of this race riot. On today, which we are recording on Juneteenth, which is June 19th, which is yep. the day that uh, we celebrate the abolition of slavery. So it was just a very – I'm not – I would like to think <laughs> that nobody can be this stupid, but I think he's just that rude and that oh, no, mean. No. So I think it's yeah. intentional, and I don't think that it was an accident, that he accidentally did it on Juneteenth in a place that is – has historically been a racial hotbed and is the site of what remains the worst incident of racial violence in United States history. I think that a lot of um, a lot of that also has to do with the fact that I read yesterday that a lot of states are trying to make today a holiday now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, a, 
a federal holiday at first. It didn't take place today, but next year be prepared for any type of thing where, you know, June 19th will be something that will be on the calendar and remembered always and just not just something that is just posted as a remembrance of like, oh, hey, don't forget about this day. It's going to be on every federal document, you know, just from like here on out. Trump said that he made this holiday famous. You know what? Maybe he did. And you know what? That is for uh, he made it famous for a terrible reason, but we get to own it and make it a positive every year. Mm hmm. And celebrate the abolition of slavery, which is a blight on United States history. And, I mean, quite honestly, all of civil rights and the way that African Americans are treated in this country, as well as many other minorities. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the Tulsa Race Massacre. So like I said before, this event remains one of the worst incidents of racial violence in U.S. history, in which over the course of 18 hours, on the dates May 31st to June 1st of 1921, a white mob attacked residents, homes, and businesses in the predominantly black neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So the year is 1921, and racial tensions have been especially high in the years following World War I. Also, this is a time when people remember the Civil War and slavery and the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. At this point during this year, any person over the age of 56 years old would have been alive during the Civil War and during slavery. And if they had not been alive, they would have remembered it. It would have been very close to them in history. And it would have been very viscerally part of the oral tradition in their families, in their homes, and in their daily lives. So if you think about it, this year, 2020, we, of course, remember Woodstock, the moon landing, Martin Luther King Jr., JFK. We remember their assassinations. So to give you some sense of perspective, that is exactly the same number of years from 2020 to 1965 as there was from 1921 to 1865. So as much as those events shape who we are today, those events shaped how society behaved in mm -hmm. 1920. So that can give you just a little bit of perspective on how close those events were and how relevant the feelings and the tensions were at the time. Along with that, there was also a resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan. This resurgence of the white supremacist group was spawned by a popular film, Birth of a Nation, a silent film originally named The Klansman. The film was controversial even before its release and has remained so ever since. It has been called the most controversial film ever made in the United States. In this three-hour-long silent film, African Americans are portrayed by white actors in blackface. They are portrayed as unintelligent and sexually aggressive to white women. The film presents the Ku Klux Klan, or KKK, as a heroic force necessary to preserve American values and a white supremacist social order. The first emergence of the Klan flourished in the southern United States in the late 1860s during Reconstruction, and then died out by the early 1870s. The second wave of the Ku Klux Klan started small in Georgia in 1915. It grew after 1920 and flourished nationwide until the mid-20s, including urban areas of the Midwest and West. So then there's the actual makeup of the citizens of Oklahoma, many of whom had owned slaves, either as resettled Native Americans or as former Southerners. Oklahoma only became a state in 1907. 
the new state passed racial segregation laws as its first order of business. These laws are commonly referred to as Jim Crow laws. When Oklahoma actually applied to become a state, they left out all of the segregation parts because they were afraid that President Theodore Roosevelt would veto their stateship because he was pretty liberal. The way that this state set up their segregation laws meant that blacks were not allowed to vote, be on juries, or run for office. And these laws remained in place until 1965. Also, lynchings and vigilante justice were common in Oklahoma at the time, as part of the continuing effort to assert and maintain white supremacy. Well, I, uh, I'm just, everything just everything in my body just tightened. <laughs> everything just kind of you like... know, it's it's not an easy story to hear because <sighs> it feels like it, it feels so recent. It feels yes. like yes. So for us we look back and we think of this as history. But for so many Americans, whether it's lynchings, police brutality, or being discriminated against in jobs, in education, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's still very real. And these these stories, you know, we, we change the way lynchings take place, but they're still kind of taking place, right? I, yeah, I get it. Yeah. You know. So... um Between the inception of the state in 1907 to the year 1920, in those 13 years, at least 31 people were lynched in the state of Oklahoma. 26 of them were black, and they were all men or boys. On August 4, 1916, Tulsa passed an ordinance that mandated residential segregation by forbidding blacks or whites from residing on any block where three-fourths or more of the residents were of another race. They're very specific. <laughs> but a bullshit. All right. Sorry. Although this type of segregation was found to be unconstitutional by the Supreme Court of the United States in 1917, many states continued to establish and enforce this type of segregation. After World War I, the competition for jobs was high, as men returned from the war. The competition for jobs made the anti-black sentiment even more palpable. Many of the returning veterans were African American. They felt that their service had earned them full citizenship. But during the summer of 1919, known affectionately as Red Summer, oh. there were many severe race riots in the industrial cities of the Northeast and Midwest. In Chicago and some other cities, blacks defended themselves for the first time with force, but were often outnumbered. Northeastern Oklahoma was in an economic slump that increased unemployment, and the Ku Klux Klan had been growing in the area with approximately 3,200 residents claiming membership in 1920. That is 3,200 of approximately 100,000. Oh. So 3% of the population are Klan members. And that's just the people who are actually members, not the people who completely sympathize, but just don't really want to be, um, you know, a part of it. Mm -hmm. You should also know that the entire African-American black population of Tulsa at this time averages around 10,000. So they're about 10% of the entire population. So that sort of sets the scene. We have a growing city that's prosperous, a very contentious time and place. Tulsa was growing, a prosperous city at the time fueled by oil money. The city was home to a number of affluent and well-educated African Americans. But crime rates were high, and the population was near 100,000. Tulsa was also highly segregated, though most of its 10,000 black residents were residing in the Greenwood neighborhood. 
Within this neighborhood, there was a thriving business district, often referred to as Black Wall Street. Blacks had created their own businesses and services within this enclave. That included grocers, two newspapers, two movie theaters, nightclubs, and numerous churches. Black professionals, including doctors, dentists, lawyers, and clergy, served their peers. Most blacks lived together in the district, and during his trip to Tulsa in 1905, Booker T. Washington encouraged the cooperation and economic independence and excellence being demonstrated there. Greenwood residents selected their own leaders and raised capital there to support their economic growth. In the surrounding areas of northeastern Oklahoma, blacks also enjoyed relative prosperity and participated in the oil boom. So it was here on Memorial Day weekend, 1921, where the spark grew into an inferno. On May 30th, 1921, a young black teenager named Dick Rowland entered an elevator at the Drexel Building, an office building on South Main Street. Then a woman's scream. The woman was Sarah Page, a young white female elevator operator. Rowland was seen fleeing the scene. He was terrified. A 19-year-old shoeshine man alone with a 17-year-old white woman in an elevator. She screams. He knew he was in trouble. He fled to his mother's house in the Greenwood neighborhood. That's why she screamed? Because she was in an elevator with him? No, I'll get there. Just oh, okay. I just, was like, oh my, just soak it in. Bitch. Just soak what? it in. <laughs> and the next morning, May 31st, Rowland was arrested. Though the police, I am sure, questioned Miss Page, no record of that conversation has ever surfaced. Regardless, Miss Page did not press any charges, and whatever happened was certainly not found to be a vicious assault. But by that time, rumors of what supposedly happened on that elevator had circulated through the city's white community. A front-page story in the Tulsa Tribune that afternoon reported that police had arrested Rowland for sexually assaulting Page. <gasps> the paper came out at 3 p.m., by 4 p.m., the mob descended upon the courthouse. As evening fell, an angry white mob was gathering outside the courthouse, demanding the sheriff hand over Rowland. Sheriff Willard McCullough refused, and his men barricaded the top floor to protect the black teenager. Well, oh, good. Okay. Nice. A little, like a little surprising twist there. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what actually happened in that elevator, eventually, you know, it's clear that, like, there wasn't enough time in the elevator. There was no actual sexual assault. They think that Wait. what happened I'm sorry. Yeah. was that he tripped and kind of fell into her and stepped on her foot. And he she was screamed. carrying a bag, right? He, like, well, those, he may have been. shoe shining stuff is kind of heavy. So he... I'm not... He worked on the street outside, mm -hmm. and he was allowed to use a very specific bathroom in this building. And okay. So he went in to use this bathroom. On a regular basis. And she worked there. So they probably had like some very casual knowledge of each other. So there wouldn't have been a reason that she would just scream for him being in the elevator. So something had to have actually happened. What eventually is said that happened is he kind of fell and stepped on her foot. She screamed in pain. And having a grown man fall upon her. That completely misconstrued. Everyone kind of lost their minds. Uh, and so like essentially there's no statement whatsoever of what she says happened in that elevator well, it just doesn't exist so it makes you wonder that if it was something as innocent as just stepping a foot or falling on you they don't want to admit it because she screamed or if it was more so they don't want to admit it 
because it is an issue. You know, it's it's just like it, I don't know. damned if you do, damned if you don't. Exactly. It's like um, there are also rumors that they were lovers, which would have been very risque at the time. Which is another reason why not to document it. Like. I mean, there's a lot of stories, but ideally at the end of the day, no one really knows the truth, but it, it does not seem that there was an actually a sexual assault. No, but this is what caused in matters of hours, apparently. Yes, within hours. He was arrested in the morning. By the afternoon, it was in the newspaper that he had sexually assaulted this young woman and that where he was being held. The paper itself also... May or may not have ran some very inflammatory, instigating remarks. They didn't have saying they didn't that have the, the true story. You know, they're just like, oh, this woman, this woman yelled out. They oh. sort of instigated a lynching as well. Yeah. So, Ugh. but the actual parts of the newspaper that said these things have actually been completely erased. Like. If you go to the newspaper's headquarters, look in their archives, the pages are missing now because of this inflammatory language that they used that incited. Also, the person that like wrote it, what kind of person was it what, you know, exactly. that wrote the whole thing. Yeah. So here we are. We're in Tulsa. We have this young woman in an elevator. She screams. This young man flees. He's caught. He's arrested. Cover of the paper says that he sexually assaulted this 17-year-old girl. Angry mob starts to be outside the courthouse. Sheriff's like, no way. We're going to protect this guy. So this is all on the 31st of May. Around 9 p.m. that night, a group of about 25 armed black men, including World War I veterans, went to the courthouse to offer the sheriff help with guarding Rowland. Oh, protection. Cool. The sheriff turned them away, and some of the white mob unsuccessfully attempted to break in to the National Guard armory nearby. What? People are just starting to, like, pop off. Like, there's a huge group of people there. They're, like, trying to break into the armory? They're trying to get more weapons. They're trying to arm themselves to the teeth. Um, Honestly, during this time, I'm surprised they didn't have a gun on them to begin with. So they may have, but they wanted, I think they wanted better stuff. They wanted more. They wanted more. With rumors still flying of a possible lynching, a group of around 75 armed black men returned to the courthouse shortly after 10 p.m. So in that newspaper, it said that there was going to be a lynching at the courthouse. Now there's a huge group of armed white men outside, this mob. They're trying to break into the National Guard. They're there to try to get a hold of this young man. So the black community starts to rally and get themselves together. Well, they were first refused. They were kind of turned away. They're like, you know, we don't need you. We're fine. He's safe here. You can go. You can leave. It's fine. And then other people come in. And so So now now we're here at 10 p.m., right? We're outside the courthouse, 10 p.m. 75 armed black men are there or outside the courthouse where they are met by 1,500 white men, some of whom also had weapons. Jesus. Shots were fired and chaos broke out. The outnumbered group of black men retreated to Greenwood. Over the next several hours, groups of white Tulsans, some of whom were deputized and given weapons by city officials, committed numerous acts of violence against black people, including shooting an unarmed man in a movie theater. The false belief that a large-scale insurrection amongst black Tulsans was underway, including reinforcements from nearby towns and cities, 
with large African-American populations fueled the growing hysteria. So this isn't a time where people are texting. This isn't a time where people no. are getting tagged in photos. So this it's hysteria kind of builds up, yeah. right? And they're like, oh, my God, the black people are going to take over. So then everyone's just really getting very, very worked up. And it's easy to find the black community, right? Because they're segregated and they live in one neighborhood. So it's very easy for this mob to find To them. go to that neighborhood, yeah. So as dawn broke on June 1st, thousands of white citizens poured into the Greenwood District, looting and burning homes and businesses over an area of 35 city blocks. Firefighters. 35 blocks. It's a decent sized neighborhood. You have to imagine 10,000 people live here. And I we're know, not talking about we're not talking about urban overcrowding. This is like a neighborhood. It's a suburban neighborhood. Homes and businesses and So the blocks are long. They're not they're not short blocks. It's very long. It's a huge area. Firefighters who arrived to help put out the flames later testified that rioters had threatened them with guns and forced them to leave. So even as help is arriving, it's met with violence. According to a later Red Cross estimate, some 1,256 houses were burned. 215 others were looted but not torched. Two newspapers, a school, a library, a hospital, churches, hotels, stores, and many other black-owned businesses were among the buildings destroyed or damaged by fire. All in that community? Yes. The community that had doctors and ugh, and patients and children and it is literally ugh. a thriving community of african-american yeah. citizens these yeah. are american citizens who are working hard they're they've, teachers they're doctors they're lawyers they're you know they're, and these they're, people have carved a niche out for themselves in the world ugh. there's every kind of person living there from the poorest person to the wealthiest person from the most educated person to the you know most illiterate person and they're all together in their neighborhood because they're segregated from other parts of the city and rather than having that you know come down upon them they they thrived they were like you know what fine that's great <laughs> we'll just that's take great. care of ourselves you're here the, you're gonna get this area we own this area then you know and they made that area their home they thrived they and it was attacked. It's all, it's awful. So it's while awful. the attacks on the ground are horrifying. On the ground? The next thing that I'm going to tell you will probably horrify you a bit more. So there were numerous eyewitness accounts of airplanes carrying white assailants who fired rifles from the sky and dropped firebombs on buildings and homes while families were fleeing. These are husbands and wives and children fleeing their homes as firebombs are being dropped on them by civilian. The fuck is flying these planes? Civilian these aircraft, private, private aircraft. Private planes. The privately owned Get aircraft. The fuck out of here. Were dispatched from the nearby Curtis Southwest Field outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're hanging out of the fucking private planes with rifles. Yeah, with rifles, firebombs. Fuck are they getting these bombs? Well, they're it, making it's them. Like a, yeah. They're making them. They're not like they're not like a bomb in the sense that you're thinking of like a hydrogen bomb or some, you know, advanced military. They're just dropping firebombs. So essentially no, like, like a bottle of fucking vinegar that's or like been like laced with like shit. Yeah. Like, yeah, like essentially a Molotov cocktail from the sky. Are you fucking kidding me? So, yeah, 
Oh my there was god. actual there was an actual air attack. Oh my god. This is an air attack <sighs> by civilians against civilians in an I American have... city in the 20th century. I have never heard that. I have never heard that. So I would think that a lot of people have not heard about this or about especially about the air attack. So that's why I really wanted to do this topic. I I I never I, I never heard about this air these fucking people brought their own planes, which meant it was a planned attack because you have to fuel the plane, you have to prepare it for flight. Well, I mean, it was all planned within 24 it's hours because like, you have to remember yeah, it's this. Like, it's like a fucking plan. It it's, was very, it was, but it was executed very quickly because it was, this it all was a war within 12 they, hours. They made, it, they made it a war. It was. I mean, you also have to remember these men are just off of war, right? This is just after World War One, So they're just like, amped up, ready to fight. Um, Law enforcement officials later said that the planes were to provide reconnaissance and protect against a Negro uprising. Law enforcement personnel were thought to be aboard at least some of the flights. What the fuck are they going to do from their homes? They don't have an airfield. They don't have planes. There was this belief that the blacks were getting all the blacks from the other cities to come and there was going to be just tens of thousands of blacks taking over Tulsa. Because I mean, that's freaking bombed men, women, truthfully, and in their homes. But they honestly believe that this is what's happening. It's like the worst racism meets mass hysteria is just happening right here in Tulsa, 1921. In, in the United States. In the 20th century. Yeah, it's like, you know... Uh, eyewitness accounts, such as testimony from the survivors during later... There is a commission put together to really investigate into these events. So these eyewitness accounts said that on the morning of June 1st, at least a dozen or more planes circled the neighborhood and dropped burning turpentine balls on an office building, a hotel, a filling station, and multiple other buildings. Men also fired rifles at young and old black residents, gunning them down in the street. By the time the National Guard arrived and Governor J.B.A. Robertson had declared martial law shortly before noon, the riot had effectively ended. The guardsmen helped put out the fires. They also imprisoned many black Tulsans. And by June 2nd, some 6,000 people were under armed guard at the local fairgrounds. In the hours after the Tulsa Race Massacre, all charges against Dick Rowland were dropped. The police concluded that Rowland had most likely stumbled into Paige or stepped on her foot. Kept safely under guard in the jail during the riot, he left Tulsa the next morning and reportedly never returned. The official tally of deaths in the massacre was 36 people killed, including 10 white people. Even by that estimate, which historians now consider to be much too low, the Tulsa race massacre stood as one of the deadliest riots in U.S. history behind only the New York draft riots of 1863, which killed at least 119 people. In the years to come, as Black Tulsans worked to rebuild their ruined homes and businesses, segregation in the city only increased, and Oklahoma's newly established branch of the KKK grew in strength. For decades, there were no public ceremonies, memorials for the dead, or any efforts to commemorate the events of May 31st to June 1st. Instead, there was a deliberate effort to cover them up. The Tulsa Tribune removed the front page story of May 31st that sparked the chaos from its bound volumes. 
and scholars later discovered that police and state militia archives about the riot were missing as well. As a result, until recently, the Tulsa Race Massacre was rarely mentioned in history books or taught in schools or ever talked about. Even as late as 2012, the Oklahoma State Legislature failed to pass a bill that would add the discussion of the riot to the curriculum. Of course, they claimed, well, we're already teaching it. But if they're already teaching it, why not pass the bill? The truth of how many people were injured and murdered that night may never be known, as unmarked graves were discovered years later. And even in the press of the day, the numbers varied widely, from as few as 10 to as many as 300 deaths. There was an estimated $750,000 in damage, which is about $32 million today. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Over 6,000 people were left homeless, many never regaining their homes or their sense of security again. In 2015, a previously unknown written eyewitness account of the events of May 31, 1921, was discovered and subsequently attained by the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. This 10-page typewritten manuscript was authored by Buck Colbert Franklin, noted Oklahoma attorney. These are a few quotes. Lurid flames roared and belched and licked their forked tongues in the air. Smoke ascended the sky in thick black volumes, and amid it all, planes, now a dozen or more in number, still hummed and darted here and there with the agility of natural birds of the air. Planes circling in midair, they grew in number and hummed, darted and dipped low. I could hear something like hail falling upon the top of my office building. Down East Archer, I saw the old Midway Hotel on fire, burning from its top, and then another, and another, and another building began to burn from the top. The sidewalks, too, were literally covered with burning turpentine balls. I knew all too well where they had come from, and I knew all too well why every building burning first caught fire from the top. Franklin reported seeing multiple machine guns firing at night and hearing thousands and thousands of guns being fired simultaneously from all directions. He states that he was arrested by a thousand boys, it seemed, firing their guns every step they took. So those are some of the quotes of what it was kind of like to be in that neighborhood that night and what it felt like, what kind of war zone it felt like for someone who was completely uninvolved. Yeah. I recognize the whole, um, you know, he saw the rooftops glisten and it, it was obvious from the planes above. You know, I'm just like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like that, I, you know, I can't, I can't even speak. I can't even speak. It's it's very overwhelming to think that citizens could put together such an assault on other citizens that they created an air raid against a neighborhood. Everyone's just a neighbor and they created an air raid for a neighbor. And it's like, and it was planned and it was calculated it takes a lot. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to repeat myself, but like, like, like I said before, it takes a lot to put an airplane in the air. Yeah, it's not you as pl- simple. Pl- it's not simple. It's not fast. You pl- like, planned that shit. So there were also rumors that many more people died that night, and there are rumors of mass graves. Many sites have been investigated based on oral history of the day. But so far, no evidence has been found. As of April of 2020, this year, investigation is still underway. 
They believe they found some sites that look promising, like there's you know, man-made digging. Uh, this is in Oakside Cemetery there mm-hmm. in Tulsa, but they have not actually found any human remains. So it remains underway. There were a few different locations they were looking into because if some 300 people died that night, where are they? Do you think that they the the other people didn't just take them and and so there are stories there are stories through oral history of these mass graves um, coming down through I'm not sure who have they checked the backyards of homes you know they're just so like, there you were know three what? specific locations that were mentioned and mm-hmm. two they've pretty much ruled out but this one that's near a cemetery. They haven't quite ruled this one out. Uh, they're seeing some disturbances in the earth that look promising, like there's possibility mm-hmm. that there could be graves beneath them. Um, I wouldn't so. be surprised if everyone just walked through and just kind of in their own home, you know? I, I don't know. I don't know. So, like I said before, it was here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that President Trump had chosen to have his first post-COVID rally. Here in the cinders, where a flame could reignite the inferno. Is it intentional? Who knows? But one thing is true. Those who will not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that is the story of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring. There's a fucking air raid, Robin.